would stand for the reading of God's Word, if you were so able to do that. Luke 6, verse number 31. Um, I told the 815 crowd, and I'll repeat this again here, uh, I put together about three sermons a week, sometimes a fourth sermon or Bible study a week. I love studying the Bible. I love putting together messages. Uh, I spend a lot of time doing it. I spend a lot of time praying and asking God what He would have me preach and share. Of all of the sermons I've preached over the last six months, I'm more excited about this one than all of the rest of them. And uh, I enjoyed it at 8.15. I think the crowd really enjoyed it. I think this is going to open up your eyes to a story you've heard oftentimes, saved and lost, church and unchurched are familiar with the story we're going to end up looking at out of God's Word today. But it's going to open our eyes and we'll be able to see it in a whole other light. And I think you'll leave here today with a brand new perspective on how to treat other people. We're continuing our series, uh, The Commands of Christ Concerning Others. Look with me at Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. The Bible says there, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Turn over to Luke chapter 10 and verse number 33. Just a couple of pages to the right there. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 33. Let's read these verses responsibly, meaning we'll read every verse together. Let's begin together in verse 33. Alright, ready? Here we go. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him. I'll read 34. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Together, and on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Again, Jesus said in Luke 6, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. We know this as the golden rule. Jesus gave us the golden rule. The title of the sermon, the command of Christ, will highlight today is this. Live by the golden rule. Let's pray together. Lord, help us today as we look at the Word of God and the story of the Good Samaritan. As we seek to uncover this from yet a different angle, Lord, we're going to visit the same old truths that we already know, but Lord, God, a different angle. And Lord, I pray this would help bring to light behaviors in our own lives that are wrong, Lord, that are uh, transgressive against Your law. Lord, not only the sins of uh, commission, but even oftentimes the sins of omission. Lord God, reveal these things to us. Help us, Lord, to leave here changed. If there is someone here today, Lord, that has not put their faith in You alone for salvation, my prayer today is that they would hear the Gospel message and would be brought to a point of decision and would trust You. Lord God, it would be tragic for even one person to come in here on their way to hell and leave the same way. And so, Lord, draw sinners to You today. May they receive salvation. May they put their faith in You. And then, Lord, to each of us here today that have already made that choice, may we live here determined to put Your Word into practice. Lord God, guide us, lead us, move amongst us. Holy Spirit of God, You're invited to be here. I trust You already are. Work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Alright, most everyone here has the golden rule memorized. Alright? It goes like this. Say it with me. Ready? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Say it with me again, but say it with some enthusiasm. Ready? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, this relationship rule that Jesus, uh, that Jesus gave has been attributed to the precious metal of gold. This is a metallic rule or a metallic law that God has given. It is the gold standard for the best relationships. Now, stop and think about this with me for a minute. If everyone followed the golden rule, there would be no more divorce. There would be no divorce if everyone followed the golden rule. There would be no church splits if everyone followed the golden rule. There would be no abuse of children 
if everyone followed the golden rule. There would be no need for locks on doors and windows and cars if everyone just simply followed the golden rule. There would be no strife between parents and their adult children if everyone followed the golden rule. The golden rule is the golden standard to functional relationships. Now, from my research and what I have read and a lot of the digging I did to put the sermon together, it appears that Jesus, by both the Christian and secular world, Jesus is credited as being the first philosopher to give us this thought. The Golden Rule tells us that we are to be proactive in our efforts to be loving and giving toward others. We're not just to step back and play defense. No, we're to go on the offense in our goodness and kindness to everyone around us. Instead of being reactionary or acting with reciprocity, we should be out front looking to act in kindness toward others who are in a bad place. Jesus was very clear that loving your neighbor is not just some vague command that you are to uh, follow or some life philosophy that just hangs out there. Rather, this is a practical teaching teaching that should be put into regular day-to-day practice. Now, Jesus was pressed on the matter, and Jesus tells a story. Likely a true story. In fact, as we look at John Uh, Rather, uh, as we look at Luke 10, what we're going to see is he did not call this a parable. He speaks as though these events of the Good Samaritan actually took place, and he's sharing a story that took place. What is, briefly, the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, you know the story, if you've uh, been alive and not living under a rock. You know the story that a man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's traveling alone. Some thieves see him, and they beat him up and leave him bloodied in a ditch, dying. They strip him of all of his possessions and his clothing. He's laying there naked. He's bleeding out. He's dying, and he has uh, no chance at life without some outside help. A priest first, and a leave second, walk past him and do nothing to help him. And then, uh, lastly, a Samaritan man comes by and sees this man in the ditch. He uh, gets off of his beast. He goes over. He pours medicine in the man's wounds. He wraps them up uh, with bandages. He puts them on his own animal. He takes the man to an inn uh, slash hospital. He puts the man there. He pays the bill. He pays the bill in advance. And he tells the innkeeper, he says, when I come back through town. If there's more of a tab, I will pay it back later. This man is the Good Samaritan. He goes out of his way to help the guy who's injured. The Good Samaritan demonstrates for us what the golden rule is supposed to look like. Now, it is very easy to see the thieves, priest and Levite, and Good Samaritan and draw some very basic conclusions. But as we dive into the story, what we find is the reality of how these three behaviors take place all around us and oftentimes take place within us. Jesus again commanded us in Luke 6.31, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so, also so to them likewise. Very few of us actually live out the golden rule on a regular basis in our life. Here's the truth. When I am in my study, putting together these messages, sometimes I feel like the Holy Spirit's, I'm the Holy Spirit's punching bag. He's saying, all right, you're going to get up there and preach that, but here's where you're struggling with it in your life. Oh, and how about this one over here? Oh, and how about this situation over here? Listen, before I get up and preach to you, the Holy Spirit's working me over. He's doing a number on me to lead me into truth and lead me into righteous living. Um, Can I just say this morning that uh, my evaluation of the way I live my life is that generically I seek to live by the golden rule. There are plenty of instances in my marriage and in my parenting and in my day-to-day living where I do not live by the golden rule, where I am selfish where I just seek to play defense instead of going on offense. And I don't think that's just true for me. I think that's true for most everybody in here. I think most of us go through life 
seeking how we can stay out of problems and trouble, we play defense instead of going on offense and actually seeking to be a blessing to everyone God puts in our path. I believe that many of us here fail uh, to see that deep down in our hearts, we end up being far more like the thieves or like the Levites and priests than we do like the Good Samaritan. We are quick to take advantage of the weak or... Maybe we ignore the pain and suffering of the broken and damaged around us. God has called us to love our neighbor and to follow the golden rule of loving our own neighbor as though we are loving on ourselves, even if that means it is costly or inconvenient. Let's look closely at the story of the Good Samaritan as we consider Christ's command concerning others to live by the golden rule. Let's jump into this morning. My outline will be unique. I'm not going to ever probably use an outline like this one again. If you're visiting today on the back of that bulletin, you were handed on the way in as a fill-in-the-blank outline. And uh, we'll put the points up on the screen and you'll be able to fill in the blanks as we go. Take notes. This will help you to be able to refer back to the message at a later date and even your own studies. Let's jump in here today and let's take the story of the Good Samaritan apart piece by piece. Number one, notice the iron rule. The iron rule. What is the iron rule? Well, we see the golden rule, again, attributed to a metallic uh, a characteristic or having metallic characteristics. Well, let's look at the iron rule. Letter A, notice it's philosophy. It's philosophy. What is the philosophy of the iron rule? Here it is. You ready? Might makes right. Might makes right. Um. This is the idea that if I'm bigger than you, and I'm stronger than you, and you have something that I want, then I will take it from you. Might makes right. In the final years of Judah's kingdom, Babylon was on the rise in military prowess and power and superiority, and they would use the military uh, strength to conquer God's people. Babylon would follow the iron rule. They would roll into uh, Jerusalem. They would capture the best of the boys. They would take them back to Babylon. They would turn them into eunuchs. They would turn them into servants there in the palace. They would tear down the walls of defense of Jerusalem. They would burn their cities into a smoldering pile of ash. Uh, they would explode Solomon's temple and destroy it so it was no more. And Habakkuk would write about this. And Habakkuk would write about uh, the attitude and mindset of the Babylonians. In chapter 1 and verse 11 in his book, he wrote, Then shall his mind change, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, and he shall pass over and offend, listen to this, imputing that his power, or this his power, unto his God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar flexed his military might and said, I'm bigger than you, therefore I'm going to squash you. What is the philosophy of the iron rule? Here it is. I'm bigger than you, and you have what I want, so I will take it from you and even harm you if necessary, or I may take it from you and harm you just because I want to do so. You say, well, pastor, is the iron rule in practice today? And I would say very much so, and I'm going to prove that to you here uh, as the sermon moves along. We see letter A, it's philosophy. Letter, notice letter B, it's practice. It's practice. Look at Luke 10 with me and look at verse number 30. Luke 10, look at verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among... What's that next word? Notice the plurality of the world. word. Thieves. Plural. This wasn't one man... This was a group of men. And what did they do to him? The verse goes on and says, "...which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead." Can you see the logic of the thieves? We outnumber you. We are more powerful than you. You have what we want, and no one is here to stop us. Therefore, we will beat you to a place where you don't look human, and you are about to die, and we will take everything away from you. We don't care about your life. We care about taking what you have. The iron rule behavior makes its way all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 
and the life of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, verses 8 through 10 says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me, from the ground. And so, here you have Cain, who, uh, by the way, Cain and Abel, this is the first instance of works-based salvation versus faith-based salvation. God says to Cain, He says, you've brought to me the works of your hands. I reject that. He said, rather, I want you to bring to me uh, uh, that sacrifice that is representative of a lamb that will one day die for your sins. Abel has chosen the good sacrifice. You have chosen the evil sacrifice. And then Genesis 4, the Lord says to Cain, he says, sin lieth at the door. What does that mean? I have sent a lamb right up there. All you have to do is choose that lamb. Now, by the way, can I just make a really quick observation on a sidebar? Cain had a free will choice to be saved. And Cain chose instead to kill his brother. The Lord walked Cain right up to salvation and said... Take the lamb, here it is. And you know what? For everyone here today, you have a choice to make. The Lord sent Jesus to die for your sins on the cross. And just as Cain exercised his free will against salvation, many people will look at the cross where Jesus died and they'll walk right away from it and say, Yeah, no, I'm not interested. I'm a good person. Here are the works of my hands. Here are my good works. Here's my religiosity. Save me. And you know what, Cain? God said to Cain, I reject your offering. And what did Cain do? Well, instead of humbling down, he chose the iron rule. He found his brother in the field, and with a sense of physical superiority as the older brother, and a sense of jealousy in his heart toward his brother, he murdered him in the field, leaving him to die. Cain lived... By the iron rule. Many other uh, examples in Scripture could be given, but let's turn to history and look at some examples in history. Alexander the Great was known as the greatest military leader of all time. It is a, uh, uh, and he is a prime example of someone living by the iron rule. In the short span of 12 years, he conquered the antique world from Macedonia to India. An example of his disposition may be seen in his capture of the city of Gaza in southwest Palestine. History tells us the governor Bettis, um, he took the governor Bettis and he bored holes through his heels and by chariot dragged him around the city until he was dead. The iron rule. How about Julius Caesar? Julius Caesar was one of great conquests who conquered much territory and much land. When he conquered Farnius, uh, uh, Farnaces, rather the second, he declared this, Vini Vidi Visi, which means what? I came, I saw, I conquered. This is the iron rule. I came, I saw, I conquered. It's the idea of I come upon you, you have something I want, I see it, and I'm going to conquer you and take it and make you mine. I will prey on you if you are weaker than me, and I will make it mine. How many people today follow some version of the iron rule? As we will see, it can be seen all throughout the world. Letter C, we see its prevalence. Its prevalence. The iron rule philosophy is now subtly being taught to our children through the theory of evolution and Darwinism. Charles Darwin wrote two highly impactful books about the theory of evolution, which is the basis of what a lot of science is taught in much of our school system. The first was entitled, now listen, you may know it as The Origin of the Species. Listen to the entire title of this book. The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or Favored Races in the Struggle of Life. Charles Darwin was an avowed racist. He believed in race superiority. I find it quite hypocritical that our government acts as though they're against racism and then they push evolution in our schools. 
We are holding up the work of a man who is a racist and teaching his theory of how life got here. He even titled his book, again, listen closely, The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or Favored Races in the Struggle of Life. In case anyone wonders where I stand on this topic, I don't believe that the color of your skin dictates value. I believe the fact that you're made in the image of God makes you, uh, uh, makes you have intrinsic value and equal value to people of all races and colors and creeds. We're all on the same playing field. And if you have a problem with that, then find another church. Your racist attitude's not wanted here. Whether you're red, yellow, black, white, you're precious in His sight. Amen? Amen. Mr. Darwin took this racist thought and had some very harsh things to say. He believed a hard, fast law that, um, let's see, he believed a hard, fast law that only the weak should survive. We call this natural selection. And that certain races should be eliminated off the earth because they hurt the gene pool. He praises, he wrote another book, which was a companion volume entitled The Descent of Man. This book was published in 1871. And in case you think I'm just up here giving my opinion, let me read directly from Mr. Darwin's book, The Descent of Man. Listen to this quote. Listen on purpose. This is disturbing. He writes this. First, he begins by praising savages. He writes this. With savages, the weak in body or mind are soon eliminated, and those that survive commonly exhibit a vigorous state of health. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our utmost to check the process of elimination. We build asylums for the imbecile, the maimed, and the sick. We institute poor laws. He thinks taking care of people are poor laws. We institute poor laws and our medical men exert their utmost skill to save the life of everyone at the last moment. There is reason to believe that vaccination has preserved thousands who from a weak uh, constitution would formerly have succumbed to smallpox. Thus the weak members of civilized society societies propagate their kind. No one who has attendance to the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. You know what he's saying? Let the weak die. Eliminate the weak. Get rid of the weak races and we'll have a superior race. You know what Darwin in essence is saying is that to follow the golden rule limits the advancement of mankind. Instead, he suggests that we follow the iron rule and allow the cold-hearted elimination of the weaker of the human race. Remember, he praised the tribal savages in the beginning of that quote. And this philosophy can be seen all throughout the world. The biggest, baddest militaries use brute force to impose their imperial, imperial will on the weak people groups or countries that stand in their way. Children at school who are bullies, harsh people in the workplace, the biggest, fastest car on the highway, all seek to take full advantage of the weak around them. Adolf Hitler used Darwin's teachings on inferior races and ruled with an iron fist. During the Holocaust, he murdered the Jews as he labeled them subhuman. He also put to death and used for um, experimentation many of his own people who were handicapped and disabled. Our country adopted this iron rule philosophy wholesale in 1973 with the passing of Roe v. Wade. Millions and millions of women destroy a child's life within themselves so that they can continue to protect their own lifestyle and personal dreams. They have likewise made the child in their womb out to be nothing more than a clump of cells. Christians, can I tell you where we oftentimes lose the battle with the world? Is we let them give us our vocabulary. That child inside of a mother is not a fetus. It's a child. 
It has its own heart, its own fingers, its own blood that flows through it. Any woman in here who has been pregnant and gestated a child knows that you are, you are been given a precious gift of God that you are to protect and preserve. Every instinct that God puts in a, in a mother is to uh, protect that child and insulate that child and prepare that child for birth. And because of our sexual promiscuity and our wickedness, we want to destroy the life of that child because I am bigger and stronger than that little baby. I will destroy it in order to have what I want and do what I want. Just as Hitler dehumanized the Jews, mothers today dehumanize the child that lives within them. Every lock on every door and window of the world is a testimony to a fallen world where the iron rule is followed. Every father or husband or employer who uses an angry spirit to dominate and control those around him lives by the iron rule. In essence, they are saying, I will abuse and use my dominance and superiority until I get what I want. The closer we get back to the coming of Jesus, turn to, turn to Matthew 24. The closer we get back to the, get, uh, to the coming of Jesus Christ, the more we understand that this iron rule followed by these thieves in this story will become more and more prominent. Look at Matthew 24 and look at verse 9. And look at how the iron rule is in full effect as we get uh, close to Jesus coming. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, speaking to Christians, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Can you see the iron rule at play here in these verses? There's the physical affliction of the weak in verse number 9. Number 10, there is the betraying of those who are hated and the turning them over in order to get them hurt. Verse 11, you have intellectual abuse where people who are false prophets use their intellectual savvy in order to prey on those who are intellectually weak and deceive them. What must take place in order for the iron rule to take uh, to come into effect? Look at verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There it is. When iniquity abounds in someone's heart, their heart grows wax. Uh, rather, their heart waxes cold. Their heart grows cold and they have no true love to help other people. But as we look back at the story of the Good Samaritan we see yet another rule. Not only the iron rule, but notice, number two, notice the silver rule. The silver rule. Now, you should uh, sometime be a fly on the wall watching me put my sermon outlines together. You know, I work to get all the points to start with the same letter, and I, uh, you know, I work hard at that, you know? That's not easy. I don't get my sermons from AI or I don't get my sermons from the internet. You know, I, I really work hard to, do, to develop my own material out of the Word of God and come up with my own outlines. And so I was sitting in my office this week trying to find a way to come up uh, with the same thought for one, two, and three, uh, but using different words. And finally, I just gave up and said, well, we're going to use the same subpoints for point one, point two, and point three. So here we go. Ready? Letter A. We're going to look at again about the, the uh, iron, or rather the silver rule here, we're going to look at its philosophy. Its philosophy. Okay, what we saw the philosophy of the iron rule is might makes right. Say it with me, church. Might makes right. What is the philosophy of the silver rule? Here it is. Not my problem, not my responsibility. Say that with me. Ready? Not my problem, not my responsibility. Another way of wording this would be, what you do not wish done to you, do not do to others. What you do not wish done to you, do not do to others. While the golden rule emphasizes the positive duties of an individual to his fellow man, the silver rule seeks to regulate negative behavior. All right? 
It is a regulating of evil impulses that lie within us. Let's say that, um, let's say that after church, one of you walks up and calls me a name. And you hurt my feelings. You say something that just hurts my feelings. You know what the silver rule would be? It would be for me to just not say something back and bite my tongue. You know what? You hurt me, and you shouldn't have done that, but I refuse to hurt you back. Um, many philosophers prior to Jesus taught the idea that if you have hate within your heart, that you don't act on that hate toward others, right? And so, uh, you know the old adage, hurting people hurt people. Everybody familiar with that? Hurting people hurt people. We've talked about that here. You know, it would be the idea that in, somewhere in my life I was abused and hurt, and now I have this hurt that's festering deep down inside of me, and there is a temptation to lash out and, and hurt someone and, and be mean to someone because I'm hurting and now I want to pour out my hurt on others. And the silver rule basically says, you may be hurt inside, but limit and don't damage. Get through life, navigate relationships, and just simply don't hurt anyone. It's a focus on uh, uh, governing negatives instead of the positives. And the philosophy of the silver rule is just simply mind your own business and keep your head down. All right? Uh, let's look at its practice. Let her be its practice. Look back at Luke chapter 10 and look at verse number 31. Luke 10 verse 31. So we saw the thieves practice the iron rule. The, the priest and Levite are going to practice the silver rule. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Did the priest or Levite injure the man? No. He did, they did not injure the man. So again, the civil rule says, not my problem, not my responsibility. Then by the civil rule, they're under no obligation whatsoever to help him. Now, while Hitler followed the iron rule, many Germans followed the silver rule. They weren't involved in um, murdering the Jews in the death camps but they let them go on in their own backyards. And they turned a blind eye to what was happening and chose not to get involved. After the war ended, and I wanted to put uh, some video on the screen right here, I could not find any video that wasn't very graphic in nature. Anybody here ever been to the Holocaust Museum? handful of you. And you've seen footage like this. Years ago, I went to the Holocaust Museum. I think that was the first time I saw what I'm about to describe to you. But I've also seen footage like this in movies. This isn't, you know, Hollywood. This is actual footage of what took place. Many of the Jews that have these death camps going on in their very cities, and sometimes even just right down the road from where they lived, once the war was over, they were required to walk through these death camps. There's video of these people gleefully laughing and smiling as they walk onto the premises having no idea what had taken place. They're laughing, they're joking, they're having a good time with their friends and their family. You see in the video and they walk in and immediately they're taken to the center of this concentration camp and in the center of this uh, camp is a table and on the table is a lampshade made out of human skin. On the table is parchment made out of human flesh with lewd drawings. There's two heads that sit on the table that have been experimented on and shrunk down to one-fifth of a normal size, rotting and decaying on the table. Video footage of the crowd coming in glee and gleefully and happy walk up to the table and all of a sudden horror washes over their face. Some women begin to pass out and are carried out by folks. People begin to cry. They're then forced to walk into the living quarters and see people who had lived there in great squalor and disgust 
One man is kept behind who's Jewish to be shown his foot that's rotting off due to the decay and infection. They're showed mass burial sites of thousands of bodies just thrown in a hole. And these people leave the death camp that had taken place right in their own cities and backyards with a look of horror on their face. During the war, they had followed the civil war. Not my problem, not my responsibility. We may not have a holocaust going in in our country with death camps. But we should not sit on the sidelines and do nothing about abortion. Because millions of little babies are being killed. I'm thankful for all of the organizations out there that fight against abortion. I think you need to get behind them. Find one you like, get behind them and support them. Letter C, we see its prevalence. The whole reason why Jesus told this story to begin with was because a man was trying to wiggle out of the golden rule and settle with living by the silver rule. Now, I'm speaking to a church of people here this morning, and I'm glad you got up and got dressed and came in this morning. We had a good crowd today, especially considering it's the end of June, and I'm thankful that you're here this morning. But can I tell you that uh, most of us here today, we don't really live by the golden rule. We want to, but we don't. Most of us go through life living by the silver rule. And uh, Jesus did not tell us uh, to go through life seeking not to offend people. Jesus told us to go through life being a blessing to people. And here we find the story of a lawyer trying to wiggle out of the second greatest command to love our neighbors ourselves. Look at Luke chapter 10 and look at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempting him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? I love how Jesus answers a question with a question. I love that tactic. I do it to people all the time. All right? Great way Instead of just throwing out your philosophy, get them to think, get them to speak back. And he, the lawyer, answering him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So this is a very academic response. And he, Jesus, said unto the lawyer, said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Look at verse 29, and we see this lawyer trying to wiggle out of the golden rule and into the silver rule. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, who is my neighbor anyway? Like, like, that's such a vague thing. I don't even know who my neighbor is. Many people today do the same thing. In 1964, there was a case that shook this country at its foundation. Excuse me if I mispronounce this woman's name, but as I have it down to her, Catherine Genovese was returning from a night job to her apartment in the respectable Kew Garden area of New York City. As she approached her home in the early hours of that April morning, she was attacked by a knife-wielding assailant. He stabbed her repeatedly, fleeing the, blood, uh, fleeing the bloody scene as she screamed for help, only to return when no one responded to her cries, stabbing her again and again until she died. Does anybody remember this incident or this story? All right, handful of you. You just showed your age. Amen? Listen to this. The, subs the subsequent police investigation revealed that 38 Residents of the neighborhood admitted that they witnessed at least part of the attack. No one went to help her. And not a single telephone call was made to the police until after she was dead. The nation was incensed. A United States senator from Georgia read the New York Times account of the incident into the congressional record Everyone wanted to know, how could have this happened? This woman was murdered. 38 people watched and no one did a thing. Well, the answer is not really all that difficult to deduce. Many people live by the principle of the silver rule. It's not my problem. It's not my responsibility. It's no skin off my nose. 
Mind your own business and you'll get through life. Take care of numero uno. Following this tragedy, two professors from Harvard University wrote an appalling article analyzing this episode. This hurt my heart to read their concluding thoughts. In fact, this, this upset me. When I read it to you, it may upset some of you. But they are going to seek to defend the people who did nothing. Here were their ten takeaways on why nobody did a thing. All right? They wrote, number one, big cities are organized on a different principle. Friendships are based upon nearness. Those who, might have, uh, those who might have helped the unfortunate woman were simply not nearby. Number two, it must be borne in mind that these neighbors did not commit the crime. One must focus upon the murderer, not other people. Number three, it is difficult to know what any of us would have done in a similar circumstance. Number four, hindsight is always better than foresight. Number five, people hesitate to enter a violent situation alone, but organization takes time and there wasn't enough time that night. Number six, this is the one that probably is the most outrageous. No one knows the quality of the relationship that Miss Genovese had with the community. They are literally blaming her for being killed. She may have been a bad neighbor. That's why everyone just let her die. I don't care if your neighbor is the worst human being walking planet Earth. If someone's stabbing him to death, jump in and stop it. Amen? Don't just stand there and let him be killed. And how dare they say that she may have not been a good quality neighbor. Oh my. And it only gets worse. Number seven, a collective paralysis may have seized the neighbors. Number eight, people in the city are hardened to street life. The street is often symbolic of the vulgar. Number nine, heroic efforts frequently backfire. They give an illustration. A young man named Arnold Schuster, while riding the subway, recognized the notorious bank robber Willie Sutton. He reported this to the police, and the criminal was arrested. Before a month passed, Sutton made arrangements to have Schuster killed. Number ten, there are practical limitations to initiating the Samaritan impulse. And if one acted upon every altruistic impulse, he could scarcely keep his own affairs in order, etc., now, I'm going to give you my opinion why I think the 38 people didn't do anything. Because a long time ago in this country, we shifted our morality off of God and the Bible and right and wrong and following the teachings of Christ and the golden rule, and we shifted over to protect myself and don't worry about others. What would happen if we could get all of our school-aged children to not only understand the golden rule, but to understand the foundation underneath the golden rule. We live in a country today that is ruled by the iron rule and the silver rule, and so few people want to practice the golden rule. How does this relate to day-to-day Christian living? When you know of a need within our church, and you let it fall to someone else, when you could have done something about it, you are living by the silver rule. Well, as long as I don't offend anybody, it doesn't matter if I step up and am proactive. You see that we need help with the bus ministry? Well, someone else can do it. You see that we need help with ushering? Someone else can do it. Ladies, you see we need help in the nursery? Someone else will do it. You see that uh, there's someone in the church who has a need, a financial need? Someone else will take care of it. And if you don't have the wherewithal to help, then by all means, no one's expecting you to do that which you can't do. But if you can do something and you do nothing, then my friend, you are living by the civil rule. Just get through life as to not offend, but don't actually step up and do your part. How about when we're riding down the road and we see someone who's homeless? You live by the rule, avoid eye contact. Because if I look at them in the eye, then I might actually have to help them. Living by the silver rule. Conservative Baptists, prior to the year 1930, did a lot to help with humanitarian needs. Soup kitchens and homeless shelters and, 
an organization of helping people who, who didn't have uh, anything. And then the evangelicals came along and uh, uh, many uh, liberal theologian crowds came along, along with the evangelicals and began to deal with humanitarian needs without ministering to the need of the soul. And uh, conservative out to step back and said, well, they're doing it wrong. The need of the soul is more important. And while that's true, uh, uh, many conservative Baptist churches have backed away and have been content to do nothing about humanitarian crisis. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Hungry stomachs still need to be fed. Homeless people still need to be loved and taught and guided. Have someone come along their side and help them. I know that our government makes this very convoluted and complicated through their welfare system. And many people don't want uh, what uh, a church has to offer because the government has stepped in and been their God. But that should not change our heart and our spirit toward loving others. Let me ask you this question before we move on. I'm going to move quickly through number three. I know the time, and I'm aware of that. I've already preached a sermon once this morning, and so I know we'll be done with point three quickly. I'm spending more time on the silver rule than any of the rest because this is where we live. This is where we, this is how we behave. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, most of us go through life not operating by the golden rule. Most of us go through life operating by the silver rule. You already know the golden rule. And when I get to it, that's material that we all know. When uh, the story of the Good Samaritan is taught, all the emphasis is put on the Good Samaritan. Very little is put on the Levite and priest. Hardly any is put on the thief. But all three are behaviors that are around today. And my friend, we must get to the place where we quit leaving good deeds to be done to other people. And we step up and say, I'm here. How can I serve? I'm here. How can I be a blessing? I'm here. I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'm here. Here's my money. I'm here. Here's my time. I'm here. Here are my resources. Let me be a blessing. Imagine you're the man beaten up in the ditch. Do you want two people to walk by and just look at you and, not my problem, not my responsibility. Imagine you're the woman being stabbed to death and you're crying out for help and even the thief thinks somebody's going to come along and stop it. And so you run as a thief only to find out no one cares. And so you run back with everybody walking by and you keep on stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and stabbing. Oh, may we not be the crowd that just walks by while the world dies and goes to hell. Letter number three, notice the golden rule. We've looked at the iron rule and the silver rule. Let's focus in on the golden rule and let's look at those same three thoughts. Letter A, notice it's philosophy. The iron rule's philosophy is might makes right. Say it with me, church. Might makes right. The silver rule's uh, philosophy is not my problem, not my responsibility. Say it with me, church. Not my problem, not my responsibility. The golden rule, its philosophy is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Say it with me, church. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It is the fulfillment of the second greatest commandment. James 2.8 tells us that it is a divine, royal law. Letter B, notice, it's practice. It's practice. Look with me at Luke chapter 10 and look at verse number 33. Luke 10 and verse number 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. Notice that uh, this Samaritan man knew what it was like to live in a world of discrimination and hate. He was a Samaritan. The Jews snubbed him, snubbed their nose at him, yet he did not let reciprocity get the best of him. Instead of the iron rule finishing him off while he's in the ditch, that Jewish man hates me, I'm going to kill him. Or the silver rule, ignore the man as he deserves to die, and I don't have the time to bother he chose the golden rule. When we put this into practice, we cease to care about how others have treated us. And we start to care only, only about how we treat others. Well, I did this for such and such, and they never even appreciated it. They never even noticed. They mistreated me. Phooey with that! You know what? 
Who cares how people treat you? Go through life assuming that baked into the cake, people are going to take advantage of you. They're not going to say thank you. They're not going to care about what you do. But you know what? You're not in it to get a thank you. You're in it because serving others is God's plan for you to have a fulfilled life. And when you give your life to serving others and set to the side how people respond, you're going to live life to its fullest. This Samaritan man, we don't know that he ever got a thank you from the Jewish man. But you know what? He received the blessing because he gave of himself to others. Isn't this exactly, isn't this exactly what Jesus put on display for us? John chapter 15 verse 13, Jesus said just before going to the cross, he said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down His life because He knew we were hell-bound and He was the only way for us to get out. God looked down and said, I'm not going to treat them the way they've treated me because they've broken all my laws. They've stepped on my name. Uh, they've uh, uh, gotten wrapped up in idolatry. They have turned their back on me. They have been blasphemous in their living. They're sinful and debaucherous and iniquitous. They trespass and they transgress. They're wicked. They're evil. And they deserve hell. But you know what? I'm not going to give them what they deserve. And I'm not going to give them what they've given to me. Instead, I'm going to take my only begotten Son and I'm going to send Him down to earth. And I'm going to let Him through their vile hatred and evil uh, be nailed to the cross and I'm going to die for the sins of the world through the cross because I love them. No one put the golden rule on display better than the man who gave it to us, Jesus Christ Himself. And we're called to walk in that same light. Letter C. Lastly, we see its prevalence. Very few people live their life on purpose by the golden rule. Yes, God calls us to prefer everyone ahead of ourselves. This even includes our enemies who have wronged us. We are to treat others how we wish they would treat us if we were in their position. I'm not going to take the time to go into the passage this morning, but Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35 explain that in that early church era in Jerusalem, that those who were rich and had extra sold off their properties and took their wealth and gave to the needs of the poor through the local church. The local church took the money of the wealthy and redistributed amongst the poor, using that money to not only give them a fish, but teach them how to fish so that they could be sufficient in life and well taken care of. And we see here the golden rule. If I was poor and they were rich, I would want them to give to my need, and so I will give to their need. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're almost done this morning, but I have one more oh so passionate and important point I need to drive home to you this morning. Please don't shut me out. Please don't turn me off. Please give me your mind and your heart for just a few more minutes. Acts 4, they gave to the physical need. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul pleads with us to give to people's Great spiritual need. Let me ask you a question this morning. Normally I do this with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to do it that way today. How many of you here have put your faith and trust in Christ alone and you are a born-again child of God? If that's your testimony, would you hold them up? Hold them up high. Keep them up for me. Hold them up. Let me see your hand. Hold them up. Thank you. You can put them down. You know what that means? That means that you are no longer hell-bound. You are now heaven-bound. How about all of the people in this world who are hell-bound? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said, Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Most people are walking down a populous path that drops straight down into the flames of hell. What is the greatest thing that you could do for someone else? Help get them off that path onto the straight and narrow way that leadeth to life eternal. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 11. Read it out loud with me. Would you do that? Here we go. Ready? Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul says, I'm pleading to the conscience deep down inside of you that you know the terror of the Lord, that people are heading to hell, and that you grab hold of them, and you persuade them, and you convince them to place their free will in salvation, that they might 
right, be safe. Imagine this morning that you were on your way home and right down the road from where you live, there was an elderly person sitting inside in their chair, rocking back and forth, and the roof of their house was on fire. And they had no idea. And you think, oh, you know what? Pastor just preached about the golden rule. I'm not going to live by the silver rule. You park your car, you get up, you knock on their door, flames are leaping off the top of the house, you knock on their door, and... uh, the old lady sitting in there, she doesn't answer the door. And you say, hey, Miss, uh, Miss Smith, I need you to answer the door. And she says, I'm cranky and I'm tired. Go away. Well, I did my part. No! You're going to break into the house. You're going to say, Mrs. Smith, I know that you may not understand this. Your house is on fire. My house is not on fire. Go away, you fool. Leave me alone. No, Mrs. Smith. Your house is on fire. You know what you'd do if you had to? You would pick her up and throw her over your shoulder, kicking and screaming. And you would take her out and you'd set her on the street and you'd say, Look, your house is on fire. Oh, you're the kindest, sweetest young man. Thank you. Ah! You're probably not going to see that on the way home today. But if you'd open your eyes, Christian, you know what you would see? People are falling into the devil's hell every day. And Christians are not concerned with taking the good news of Jesus Christ and persuading them to salvation. What is the greatest act of the golden rule that a Christian could follow through on? Leading people away from hell into a life of eternity and blessing in heaven. You see, if you leave the soul winning and gospel preaching and persuading to others, by default, you are a silver rule Christian. One day when I stand before my Lord, I don't want to be known that way. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. He stood, stood between me and you and He let the train of eternal damnation and sin run Him over while He shoved us out of the way to be saved. He stepped up and lived by the golden rule. Look at Luke 10, verse 36 and 37. And we're done with the message right here. Luke chapter 10, verse 36 and 37. Jesus says to the lawyer, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he, the lawyer, said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto to him. Read the rest of it with me. Here we go. Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. Christian, I want to encourage you, don't live by the iron rule and don't live by the silver rule. Let's go forth and let's be golden rule Christians. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I asked you just a few moments ago if you knew you were a child of God to raise your hand. And and most of you raised your hand. I think there may have been a handful of you that did not raise your hand. Maybe you just didn't understand the question. Maybe it was poorly worded. And if that's the case, I apologize. But this morning, I sure would hate someone to come into our church building on their way to hell and not be given an opportunity to know salvation in Jesus. You see, salvation is a thing that is of a guarantee. 1 John 5, verse 13, John wrote that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Salvation is something that you can have in your possession. It's something that is sealed away by the Lord. You must believe that you are a sinner under the condemnation of death and hell because God hates your sin. But my friend, while God hates your your sin, He loves you. That's why Jesus died, was to suffer your damnation on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, He purchased a gift called eternal life. He paid for it with His life's blood. He offers it to you today, free of charge. 
you can't pay for a gift. You can just simply receive a gift. If you paid for it, it wouldn't be a gift whatsoever. Romans 6 says the gift of God is eternal life. Through, we're paid by Jesus Christ our Lord. I would encourage you this morning not to, not to get, try to get into heaven through good works because that's condemned over and over again in the New Testament, but rather by faith in Jesus. Is there somebody here this morning that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I died today, I'm not sure where I would go. I'm not sure if I would spend eternity in heaven or hell. I'm not sure that I've made that decision to trust Christ. Maybe you know that you're not saved. Maybe you're unsure. Either way, I'd like to pray for you. Is there one here that say, Pastor Lejeune, would you please pray for me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking except me. Is there anyone? I'm just not sure. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, God put His finger on an area of my life where I know I'm not living by the golden rule. And I have some changes I need to make. Just as the Lord worked with you in your office this week, Pastor, God's working with me right here in this place. Pray for me that I'll go forth and be a golden rule Christian. If that's you, would you just hold up your hand this morning? I know that I can be selfish. I know sometimes it's more about me than others. Pastor, pray for me. Lord, help us during this time of invitation to make decisions that matter. Help us to make decisions that actually change and alter our behavior in line with the Word of God. All year long we've been looking at your commandments But Lord, we don't really love you if we're not willing to put them into practice. We're not going to put them into practice unless we make choices to do so. So Lord, guide us this morning into these choices. Show us what really needs to change. Help our behavior to be altered based on the Spirit of God's leading within each of our hearts. In Jesus' name.